0: Just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Joe Lavell, and I'm super excited to be talking today with a world-renowned economist, about his new book, and much more. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Lord Magnet Desai, author of the book, Hubris Why Economists Failed to Predict the Crisis and How to Avoid the Next One. Magnet, welcome to our show. Thank you. Could you take a few seconds or even minutes to tell the audience about you and your background?
1: Yes, well, I, I was born in India, and uh, I, I did my first couple of degrees in India, and then I came to United States, did my Ph.D. there, and then I moved to London in 1965, where I taught the London School of Economics for 40 years, and now I'm a, a retired person, I travel around, write quite a lot, and I'm in the House of Lords uh, in U.K., which is sort of uh, like the Senate, but it's a lifetime appointment. So I'm active in politics as well.
0: Perfect. So you've written a book called Hubris. Why don't you give our audience a 10,000-foot overview of the new book?
1: Well, the book is really dealing with why economists as a profession failed to foresee the coming crisis. And when the crisis came, why did they not see the seriousness of it and expected the economy to recover very quickly? So I go into the mindset of economists and go through the history of ideas in economics, which shows that economists have been like this for a long time. Briefly after the Great Depression, they changed when Keynes uh, wrote his uh, theory, which challenged uh, orthodoxy. But, you know, after a while, inflation took over, and Keynes' reputation suffered. So from 1980s onwards, economists were back to thinking like they've always thought for 200 years. The markets worked perfectly. There is no likelihood of a depression. Things are going to go smoothly. As long as the government doesn't interfere too much and monetary policy fights inflation, government more or less balances budget. That sort of orthodoxy is so deeply ingrained in economics. And, of course, these are very clever people. They're friends of mine, and they're very honest people. But they believe in this uh, theory. And when the crisis took place, they completely missed it but what's more, they thought it would not last very long. The analogy I gave you in the first, in the First World War, in August 1914, the war broke out, and all the belligerents thought it'll be finished by Christmas. We have been in this crisis for seven years now. You know the two thousand and eight level of GDP is just being reached again in u s and u k and elsewhere. so this has been a very big crisis. We have to understand where we went wrong and This is my attempt to say where we went wrong and my interpretation of why what happened did happen and That is all to do with the, the dynamic disequilibrium uh, nature of the economy, the global economy. And this is what I try to tell my readers, how to look at the modern world and understand it differently from the way the teach teaches.
0: And you do a great job of that, as well as providing even someone like me who has no basis in economics with a theory around how to think of your explanations. So I really enjoyed yeah. reading the book. I feel like I got a miniature MBA in economics without having to go through hours and hours of coursework, (laughs) but you explained just enough so I could explain or so I could understand your explanation of why we failed to predict the crisis and again where we were regarding, headed into a next one.
1: Thank you. I very much wanted to uh, make this a book that most people could read. Because I wanted to explain to people what economics is, why it is the way it is. So I'm glad that you found it readable and useful.
0: I couldn't help but take the opportunity with all that's going on in the world related to economics to pick your brain on a few topics. First one would be related to Greece. How should we be thinking about the current crisis in Greece?
1: Well, you know, I have been, I have been uh, sort of thinking and writing about it on a website called OMFIF, O-M-F-I-F, Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum. We could see it way back in 2010 that Greece was going to get into trouble. It had borrowed too much money and so on. And I'd say even now that Greece ought to be able to exit the euro. Because it's un- impossible for it to pay the debt it has, uh, uh, it has incurred without suffering for 40 years of real deflation. And I think if they get out, they'll be a bit chaotic for a while, maybe five years or so. But I think they'll be all right. Iceland had a similar kind of problem. They, they had a huge uh, foreign debt. They refused to pay the debt. It took them five years. They're back uh, in operation. I think Greece would be much happier outside the eurozone. They, they should never have been let in, and they should now be let to go out. But it's going to be difficult. I think that all the forces of Europe are conspiring to make Greece stay in and suffer. But that's the way financial orthodoxy works. Right. What can you do? Right.
0: How about the situation in Puerto Rico?
1: Yeah, you know, it's again. Uh, it's very similar. You know, it's a small enough thing to really be like a municipality. Uh, and again, I think it's a, it's a thing in which uh, when money was cheap a lot of people borrowed and they didn't really uh, think about how they're going to pay back and this crisis has hit the uh, UK as well where, where where I live and in the United Kingdom decided they had to take the debt seriously, do, you know, really practice austerity and, and uh, manage their affairs. I think Puerto Rico will have to kind of do some sort of a, a Chapter 11 or whatever the equivalent is and try and restructure themselves. California had a problem once California got out of it. I think P- Puerto Rico should learn from California.
0: Perfect. Tell us about the Chinese markets where they are currently and how the market there and the struggles they're having currently affect the global economy.
1: You know, I think you know, Shanghai stock market, uh, first of all, the big bubble, which was fomented by the government, and then the collapse. And then the government's attempt to reverse the collapse by pushing a lot of liquidity into the system shows that the Chinese, you know, good as they are, they don't really understand modern stock markets. And they really are, are were doing the sort of things the U.S. did in 1929 and, you know, so they didn't, uh, didn't stem uh, the crisis. I think for the time being, it looks like the Chinese have, uh, you know, kind of patched it up. But I think there are serious problems about macroeconomic control in China. And the recent devaluation, you could take a favorable view, say, oh, they're trying to prepare for a flexible exchange rate. They want to become a key currency in the world and so on. But I think China has lost the momentum of rapid growth they had for a long time. The world is getting more complicated, and they haven't got the policy to deal with the complex world uh, they are in. So I think I'm, I'm more worried about China than about anywhere else in the world economy right now.
0: Interesting.
1: Greece accepted.
0: <laughs> right. We're headed into an election here in the United States. Several candidates have put forth mm-hmm. their economic stimulation the initiatives. Are there good ones or are there bad ones from what the candidates are putting forward?
1: But what what impresses me is that you know I have followed elections before. This is the first election with there is a range of economic policies, which would you would not normally find in an American presidential elections. You know, from from in the uh, the libertarian side of the Republican Party uh, to Bernie Sanders, uh, you really have people uh, aware that, apart from the usual problem of, you know, reviving growth and controlling inflation, there's a deep dissatisfaction about the degree of inequality, and not that so much, but the stagnation in middle-class incomes. And I think stagnation in middle-class incomes is making people aware that this time around the economic issues are going to be much more difficult to tackle. And I think I don't think that Hillary Clinton has really got into the thing, but I i I'm hoping that people like Bernie Sanders make her. Really examine whether she can be more radical than she is, because that is. And I hope the Republican side, not Donald Trump, but uh, somebody else, turns up uh, and uh, and really holds a good, good free market doctrine, which will be uh, helpful to solve the problems. So I'm I'm following the election campaign with great great interest. I think America is lucky to have such a variety of views being presented, and let let's see how it uh, how it develops. Something could make a lot of it
0: yet. I'm hoping for somebody new that has new ideas, at least into the debate, that can stir some of the candidates that well, might I have. I can never
1: remember whether it's, when it's uh, uh, Paul Ryan or Ryan Paul, who is the, the, the Republican presidential candidate. He's sort of a libertarian and he's sort of somebody thinking way out of the box. And I think America needs a few way out of the box uh, ideas. They may not get nominated, but they at least will uh, change the debate about, about the economy. It's very, very badly needed.
0: Maybe you could help me with this question. I'm wondering, as you're talking, how much do candidates consult people like you that have an economic theory background, and as they're putting together their programs and their ideas?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, in, in 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 the British politics, every candidate has to, every parliamentary candidate has to a bit of economics of their own. I think I think in the in the states, you you have a, Consultants and and you know academics who attach themselves uh, to campaigns because there is much more give and take between politics and academia. So I think they, they I think uh, someone like Bernie Sanders has his own ideas, uh, but I think most politicians just take expert advice. They're dealing, uh, you know, uh, they, they may they may believe that they believe in the free market or low taxes or or whatever but they need someone to spell it out because it's a fairly complex situation when you have to spell out the details of what you're going to do if you get into power. So I think it's a good division of labor, but I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really interested in seeing whether the problem of stagnation of middle-class incomes, a law, and this has been going on for about 20 years now, 20, 25 years, somebody has to tackle this question. And if they can come up with a good, imaginative way of tackling middle class income stagnation that person will get a, uh, you know, will, will, will get the nomination or at least that person's policies would, would be worth adopting
0: That makes perfect sense With that intrepid business will return with our guest Magnad Desai after this quick break We'll be right back.
1: program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership.
0: Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation, idea centric, strategically driven,
1: humanly conscious.
0: And we are back with Magna Desai, author of Hubris Why Economists Fail to Predict the Crisis and how to avoid the next one. Magnet, will you tell our audience your thoughts about why economists need to re-engage with the history of economic thought?
1: Yeah, you see, one of the things that happens in economics is that most people, even in very senior positions, Really grew up after the Second World War, and for about the first thirty years of the second world War, we had no serious economic crashes and After that, you know if there was a such short recession, so people began to think that there would be no uh, big crisis ever again in the economy, as I pointed out, but by the mid sixties people were writing books about is the business cycle obsolete so what i 'm saying, go back over the last two hundred years, then you will see there are many more crises and cycles and shocks in the system. And the system has not changed so much that we can forget about history. The more history you go back into, the more you will learn that ups and downs are natural to a capitalist economy. That's the way a free market works. It allows people to make mistakes which they want to, and then it punishes them if they overreach themselves. If you borrow too much and don't invest it properly, when the time comes to pay back, you get hammered. Now those sorts of things, you know, a free market, uh, you know, lets people do and then punishes them. And that's the way the market cleans up the system. So I think we have to understand how even in a perfectly free market system, there would be cycles. Uh, th- th- there would be these sort of shocks. Because the human tendency is to is to overreach, to overreact, to, to do foolish things when money is cheap. And I think we need to understand that these cycles are endemic to the system. And that's part of the beauty of the system. It lets you make your mistake, but then it gives you a punishment for making your mistakes. Right. If you get out in time, you make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a story about Joseph Kennedy, Jack Kennedy's father, who was very active in the stock market. One day he was having his shoe shine, and the shoe shine boy said, "Sir, let me give you some tips for the stock market. He decided the time had come for him to sell out." If the the shoe shine boy thought he was an expert in the stock market. The market had gone too far, so he sold out and and put all in cash and. Uh, and you know uh, saved his skin, so that's
0: the way it happens <laughs> Wow, that's a great story. so regardless of what type of economists you have around to help you, sometimes it's a shoe shine boy that puts you over the edge and helps you take that action to act on the data that's showing one of these cycles. Tell us all briefly now, yeah how you see these cycles having come together to create this current cycle and maybe how long you think we're in it and what are the signs that will tell us that we're about to come out
1: of it. Well, there are there are you know, there are once in a long cycles, sort of 40, 50 years. We had a long boom between sort of beginning of 1990s up to 2008. We had an unprecedented long growth story for 18 years. Now we are down, and I think we will. Probably down for another another ten years or so. Low growth, low inflation. The economy will lose its momentum. Now, obviously, it's not inevitable. What has happened in the past is suddenly you get a bunch of innovations, you know, which are kind of really transform the production uh, technology of the system. We had the cotton spinning, we had railroads, we had electricity, we had the computers, and you know. In a sense, we are sort of waiting for something like that to happen. But the story is that that happens only infrequently every every 40 years or so. Uh, but even if it happens quickly, let's say we are in here for five, four or five years of, uh, of a low growth. Once something like that happens, the productivity of the whole economy is transformed. Something like that has not happened to us in the Silicon Valley. And you know that's a long time back when the Silicon Valley burst on the scene. So we're really now waiting for the next uh, next miracle story of technological uh, innovation. And when that happens, we'll be out of it. But there's no telling when it'll happen. Uh, you know, would it be robotics? Would it be a, a you know? electric cars or uh, energy-free machinery, whatever. So we're waiting for all that. But uh, in the meantime, we have to keep the economy on an even keel and make the best of a bad job.
0: We've talked a lot about...
1: inflation has gone out of the system. Sorry.
0: No problem. We've talked a lot about economics in general and economics of the world. Let's talk about some of the things that we haven't talked about that we'll learn in your book, Hubris. What what are some of the key things a reader will learn in the book?
1: Well, a reader will learn uh, sort of two main things. First of all, how the way the economists think has arisen over the last 200 years, two or more years. In a sense, uh, it's not a matter of mathematics, it's not a matter of technology. It's a matter of clear thinking. And Adam Smith was the first clear thinker way back in 1776 uh, or so on. And those those very clever people at that time more or less put up the framework of economics. Economics is not like physics or biology, it doesn't progress very much by new theories and new technology. It, it, it sort of hones and refines the theory it has. because. The reality is more complex for economists than for physicists. You know, for them, matter doesn't change. And for economics, as I say, the apple falling on Newton's head, if halfway through it's thought of not falling and going back up the tree. That is the kind of situation economies face. There are no regularities, so we have to have a more uh, refined nuanced thinking. So I explained that, and then I gave them a sort of a, for a quick course in economics. but then I really tried together the full globalization story in my last two chapters, and I hope people read that, maybe they should even read that first if they want, because that will explain to them the last forty years. The way the world has been, and once they read that, they might be able to go back. So I really want to tell the story of how we got into where we got into, starting say roughly by the oil shock of 1973, and bring it all the present day, so they can understand what has been happening in the lives, you know why manufacturing has gone away from from America and Europe and gone to Asia, and, and how you know we are in this service type jobs. Why middle-class incomes in America have not risen. All those things are brought together in, in my in my storytelling. I call it storytelling, but I, I try to tell it like a story. So that I think what, uh, readers will find very useful.
0: I agree with that. Magnet, I hate to say it, but we're running close to out of time. Before I let you go, where can people go to contact you, to learn more about hubris, why economists fail to predict okay, the crisis? Uh,
1: yeah, I have a website, OMFIF, Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum. If they write to that, then they'll be able to reach me. It's because somebody over there will take care of my emails and let me know what people are asking. That's much more systematic than my doing it by myself, okay? Perfect. So on fifth, remember on fifth, and ask me any questions, not just from Hubris, anytime on economics, and I will be able to respond to you.
0: Outstanding. And then they can find your book on Amazon?
1: They can find my book on Amazon. There's an e-book version. You could you could have a Kindle, uh, and you could uh, just get it and read it.
0: I agree. Magnet, it was great to have you. Thanks for making the time to join us today.
1: Thank you very much. I most enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Take care.
0: That wraps our broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Magnet Desai. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.